Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Your financial support of this ministry helps make it possible. We come to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I've been the executive director for over 30 years. We are a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org. The other ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Our website is breadoflifeboise.org, and there you can find links for past broadcast, full-length sermons, and links to our donor page as well. Now, we turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. Israel is in a time of dearth, which means a time of drought or scarcity. It's not been a good year in Israel. The plenty of past years is gone, and all is seemingly bleak and dull. Maybe this year has felt that way to you. But the greatest scarcity of our day and age is the scarcity of God's Word being repeated and repeatedly loved and obeyed. It is a scarcity of the Spirit coming with refreshing. Something seems to have quenched His moving among us. We pray for revival, and in this time we consider what is truly dear to us and seek for it above all else. The question that we have to ask when we consider that is, what is the solution for scarcity? What is the solution for a spiritual famine or living in the time of spiritual scarcity? And here's a bit of a hint. Dearth, that's how you describe scarcity, dearth. But also from the word, the English word dearth, you have and you gain the English word dear. Dear. They actually come from the same word. The idea is this. In the middle of a dearth, you discover what is most dear. A dearth is something that underscores those things that are most precious and valued. You don't have water, you find water dear. You don't have food, you find food dear. You don't have peace, you have turmoil and disorder. You find order and peace dear. That's the idea. Elisha came to the sons of the prophets in the middle of a dearth, and he sat down before them. They were in that scarce time Finding out what was most precious to them was the opportunity to enjoy and fellowship in his company. The scarcity only emphasized their appreciation for the presence of this holy man of God who represented God's word to them. So they gathered around him and they looked to him for instruction. Our passage says, Elijah returned to Gilgal and there was dearth in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. They all gathered around. They wanted to be with him. I think we know a little bit of what that's like. You might remember after having not been able to gather all of most of March and all of April, most of May, for about six or seven weeks we didn't gather. Others have gone even longer than that. And the first time that we gathered together, how good it felt to be with one another. I know how good it felt. We had to preach messages and record them here in this room and you know we thought about just putting up uh, like teddy bears around the room so we could look at it because there was nobody there and and me and Greg and sometimes my sister Drusha were there at that time and how nice it was when you came back and we were together again speaking to one another and hearing and learning of God's word together and on this occasion how wonderful and precious it was for these sons of the prophets to meet with the prophet and be instructed and taught by him. Here's our answer for the solution for times of scarcity. Jesus Christ has come and he would sit with us and teach with us. He's the remedy for the spiritual dearth of our land. Christ's presence 
Not just his presence, because he's here right now. It's his presence held dear by you. It's his presence being dear to you. Our Lord Jesus has come before us. He's here with us. Only we must allow the scarcity of our times to drive us to him, to appreciate now his presence as never before, and to love his instructions, to hold him most dear in the time of dearth, to seek him out and to draw into our lives his life. He's come to make God known to us and to live before us the majesty of the most holy one and to live that majesty within us. And you're not supposed to push him away in times of dearth and scarcity. When you're in the middle of spiritual trials and dryness, the one thing you need above everything else is to discover how good it is to have the sweet water of his life poured out to you, to have the wonderful bread of his life given to you in fellowship. You need to entertain his presence as often as you feel the deadness and dullness of life gathering around you. You must count him most dear. You must thank God for the scarcity of 2020, for the dearth of 2020. Let it turn you more than ever to Christ. Listen to and obey his instruction. Bow to the absolutes of his word. His presence held dear is the only answer for the dearth of our times. And now we need it more than ever. And our world needs it more than ever. Places, oasis, where in the midst of the dearth, the dearness of Christ is experienced and emanating. Here's a second problem that's taking place with these sons of the prophets. There was death in the pot. There was dearth in the land and there was death or poison in the pot. A pot of porridge or lentils is stewing for these sons. They'll eat together. One of them is set out to forage additional vegetables to fortify the meal. He finds a wild vine and on it some fruit. He gathers it up in his lap. He cuts it up into small pieces. He puts it into the pot. Once prepared, this pot of stew or this bowl of lentils is served. And as it's served, quickly it's discerned that the additional fruit was poisonous. It wasn't good. The sons call out to Elisha. And he has them put meal or flour into the pot. And what is added serves to miraculously neutralize the poison that's in that pot. It actually kind of reminds us when Israel was escaping Egypt and they had first wandered into the wilderness, they came to a body of water called Marah and the water was bitter and they couldn't drink it. And God instructed Moses to take a tree and cut it down and to throw the tree into that water and when he did the water was made sweet it actually reminds us of the second miracle of Elisha after he'd struck the waters of the Jordan River and crossed back over the Jordan River after having seen Elijah ascend into heaven in chariots God's chariots he returns to the city of Jericho the people recognize now that God has signaled upon this man that he is the prophet of God and they come and tell him that they have water cursed water that is bringing death to their land and Elisha has them gather from their homes bowls, a bowl of salt, gather from all the various homes, and he puts that bowl of salt, and he pours that bowl of salt into the, the spring of this deathly water, and the waters are cured, and they're made better. It's kind of interesting. Something isn't taken out. Something isn't removed. The poison isn't removed. The bitterness isn't removed. The curse isn't extracted, you might say. It's not that something is taken out, but something's put into it. That changes it. 
Something is added that cures what is in there. You need to think about this for a moment. God, in applying this to ourselves as a parable or a lesson, God feeds us through his word. And we ministers of the word try to do our best to offer it up to God's family for food. But as well-intentioned as we are, we oftentimes import into the instruction of God's word gourds from wild vines. You'll do it yourself when you're studying God's word. You'll do it yourself when you're attempting to teach others. You'll do it because in the best of times, the world that you live in influences the way you think and the attitudes you have and your perspective, and it's not all pure. It's not all correct. The fact is, is that we're all creatures of the age in which we live in, and rarely is the age that we live in and the thinking and attitudes of the age that we live in friends of the Word of God. It influences the way we understand things. It influences our perspective. And those influences are particularly pernicious the more and more we're in times of spiritual famine and dearth. And we gather up information or ideas or concepts that are not informed by the influence of God's Spirit moving out in plenty upon the land and from a church that's ministering out of the fullness of their experience of God, but lacking that, they gather and they bring together thoughts and ideas that are not expression of the influence of God at all. It's like poisonous fruit that's all around us and it influences us. Listen, when you live in an age that constantly questions absolutes and almost exalts the idea of living in a constant state of doubt, you find individuals that somehow celebrate doubt. It becomes the next trend. Just the other day, I was reading some statement from an individual I've known for a number of times. He's been a spiritual leader and a teacher in churches throughout Canada. He made the comment that he doesn't anymore just dance with doubt, but now in this day and age, he tangos with doubt. I thought, how trendy. How trendy to tangle with doubt. It just fits with our age, and it's the influence of what experiences us, what we're experiencing. When you live in an age that enthrones self-interest, that gives validity to every feeling you have as if what you feel and believe is your truth and it's not to be questioned, that begins to press in upon you and influence the way you understand God's word. When you live in a narcissistic age that's fixated on yourself, uh, expressed by the kind of common photos that we take. You know, back in the old days, I, I just the other day was at my mother's house and I was opening up an old photo book. It's one of those what would you call it? That It's like that black construction paper, you know, that has like the little black corners on it that you put pictures in. You know what I'm talking about? And all kinds of black and white photos in there of brothers and sisters and friends and grandparents and parents and looking at them. That's not what we take nowadays. We're a little more selfish than that. We take pictures instead of our grandparents and our parents and our friends and our family. We take pictures of our breakfast plate and our lunch plate. We like to take pictures. You go on and look at it. Social media now of your friends, when they finally post a picture, if they're not posting some political meme or something like that, it will be very often, you got about a 25% chance, if it's not a plate of their food, that it's a picture of their toes sitting on some chair, lawn chair before a pool or something like that. It's like, they can't just show you the scene, they gotta show their toes as well. So it's, it's pictures of food and feet. Well, when you live in a world like that, and that's being constantly reinforced in your life. It begins to, begins to affect the way that you read and study God's Word and the conclusions you draw from it because you begin to import into God's Word your perspective. 
perspective poisoned by the age that you live in. And so gourds from wild vines get in there. This is done in the best of times, as I've said, but it's even worse. It's even worse in the time of famine and drought. And those things, those influences can continue to move on and move on until they bring tremendous harm. The Lord Jesus, in the last sermon that he preached, began his sermon by warning in the last days against deception. He said, take heed that you be not deceived. Deception doesn't start out as a bald-faced lie. It starts out as a little deviation from the truth, some twist or turn of perspective that if you buy into it, eventually takes you miles and miles away from the truth and you swallow a whole lie. Peter, when Peter wrote the very last letter that he was writing the churches, spoke of a day in which there would rise up individuals whose mission would be to deceive the church and the elect, and he warned against deception. Paul, when you read 2 Timothy, in his very last letter, you'll see that Paul warns against those who will come in the last days that will deceive and be deceived. The warning is against deception at that day. It's this idea that we can slowly turn because of the influences of our age and the scarcity of our age. We, we begin to inject these wild gourds and at some point in time they poison the pot entirely. The question we'll ask in our next broadcast is how do we remove the poison that gets into the spiritual food source of our lives? As we've discovered already today, for dearth we find Jesus more precious And for the poison that gets in the pot, we'll see tomorrow that we need to put into that pot more and more of God's truth. Let's consider this more in our next broadcast, but in the meantime, we thank you for joining the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message, go to our website, breadoflifeboise.org, and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.